Hi, it's Ashley, and we made it to lucky episode 13 of the Kick-Ash Live podcast, except I'm kind of wondering if maybe it's unlucky because I recorded this whole thing, literally the whole thing, and realized I did not have the microphone on. (laughs) That's how it works, right? But in honor of episode 13, we are going to talk about chapter 13 of The French Lieutenant's Woman. This is a novel that still haunts me from high school. And before you decide this is where the podcast jumped the shark, hear me out. We're actually going to talk about sensuality, societal norms, identity, storytelling, exploration, and intimate conversations. I've got your interest, right? Trust me on this one. If this is your first time here on the Kick-Ash Life podcast, maybe don't start here. Pop back to episode one and let's get to know one another. But if you've been around for a hot minute, maybe you'll love me just enough to wander down this thought trail with me for a moment. I promise this will make you think about things through a different lens. I know that because it did for me as I was doing what I love to do, researching and studying and pulling my notes together, things I can just get lost in the process of doing because maybe some things from high school don't change. So I'm excited to share this with you. Let's do it. First of all, have you read The French Lieutenant's Woman? I would find it unlikely that you were assigned to this novel in high school for reasons that will become clear, but I was. So I have a very quick book report for you. Let's pretend we're in high school and you can just sit beside me and copy my notes, yeah? This was a novel published in 1969 by John Fowles. The story is set in Victorian England in a time of rigid social norms and expectations. And it's against this backdrop that the novel is meant to push us to examine our own modern societal constraints. So that is, how are we, the reader, managing external expectations when they clash with our heart's desires, when those expectations clash with our very internal identity? It's relevant, yeah? Because this is the struggle of life. Here's the rest of my book report. The story takes place in 1867, which was a time of vast political reform, social change, and scientific discovery. Footnote, Darwin. While strict moral codes persisted, and these strict moral codes were demonstrated by dresses, the fashion was that these dresses covered every inch of a woman's body. There's some foreshadowing here. Stick with me. Yet, the author is writing the story in 1967 when challenging social norms was the norm and the sexual revolution was in its throes. This has potential, right? These are interesting concepts. They're good conversations. And I'm pretty sure that high school me didn't catch all that. Actually, it's quite likely that I caught all of that, wrote a damn fine essay about it, and didn't understand 
a word that I wrote because these things have taken me years to unpack. The questions of, is it really what I want or is it what society wants? And the French Lieutenant's Woman is a great story, but it's not an easy read. It's going to require some real effort by the reader. It's been called a literary masterpiece, so you know it's going to be an undertaking. It's going to be a whole thing. And I used to love a whole literary thing. I did. These days, I just want straightforward, but in my research for this podcast, it put me right back in high school where I was lost for hours in reading and writing about esoteric thought. So good. Anyway, maybe you haven't taken this book on. If you have, drop me a note, will you? Because I need to know. But it's more likely that you've seen the movie based on the novel The movie was released in 1981, and Jeremy Irons plays the lead male character, Charles. And we know, we know that if Jeremy Irons is in the movie, there is going to be at least one steamy sex scene. We know this. It is fact. And it doesn't matter how this man ages, and he's aged well, they are going to film him getting it on, period. And I want to acknowledge that Jeremy Irons is such a talented actor in his own right, but he's also, yeah, he's also the king of steam. He is the definition of big screen sensuality. So where are we going with this, Ash? Well, remember, I told you that I read this as a senior in high school, 17 years old, and Like I said, what I remembered most was chapter 13, which you'll discover is the nerdy stuff. I did not remember the soft core eroticism woven throughout this novel. I do know, I'm pretty sure that I saved my copy of the novel. It's somewhere boxed up with all my other cherished books because there's some books, is it just me? There's some books we just can't let go of. But I remember the cover of this novel. It was dark, kind of navy themed, and it had a woman dressed in black. Yes, she was covered head to toe, um, and she was looking out to the ocean on this seawall that sort of wove out along there, and she was just staring out into the darkness, and it was moody, and it it was beautiful. And I remember that book cover, and as we were approaching episode 13 of the podcast, I couldn't stop thinking about chapter 13 in that novel, at least as I remembered that chapter. So I finally just gave in. I'm trying to lean into my intuition these days, so I ordered a copy. And when my paperback arrived, it looked nothing like the cover of my high school paperback. It's sort of this cream color, and on the cover, there's a nude woman and a quote from the New York Times Review, which says, filled with enchanting mysteries and magically erotic possibilities. Okay, I read this in high school, but not just any high school. This was high school 
in the early 90s, we were in a small suburb in the Florida Panhandle. We were deep in the Bible Belt, and most folks I knew went to church on Sundays. My family, we went to Olive Baptist Church, a mega church that was on TV, and we were there on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And for Wednesday night fellowship supper, sometimes we went to Monday night visitation, and we were often there for a church social on Friday or Saturday night. You get the picture? Let me add a little flavor. During the church summer camp, we girls were not allowed to swim at the same time as the boys because maybe it might have been too hard for those boys to manage themselves. It's kind of like the Victorian era dresses, right? The women needed to cover themselves so the men could manage themselves. And I'll say this, my church girls were a really good looking bunch. I mean, these young women were downright gorgeous. So actually the church might've been onto something. Anyway, you can rest assured that if the quote from the New York Times about erotic possibilities had been printed on my paperback cover back then, my mama would not have allowed it. No, Mm ma'am. And my daddy was a deacon in the church and My daddy is a good man, but it's not the deacon's daughter you've actually got to worry about because we were, quote, the good girls. As the theory goes, it's the preacher's daughter you better watch. Preacher's kids have been known for raising all kinds of hell, or so I've been told anyway. Yeah, so I had three amazing high school English lit teachers I still am in wonder that our tiny little town had this level of talent, this level of excellence all right there. And it's still to me today, such a gift, such a gift in my life. In 10th grade, there was Mr. Riddles, 11th grade, Mr. Dasher, and 12th grade, Mr. Willie. And A side note, just in case you need to know about ninth grade English, that was a a whole other story. Hindsight, I think that woman had her mind on other things, maybe consistent with the theme of that paperback cover. Anyway, senior year, I started my day out every day with Mr. Willie, every weekday morning. It was quite often the case that I was running late because I... I spent a lot of time in the mornings hot rolling my hair. Yeah. Thankfully, Mr. Willie's classroom was the first portable building that was next to the senior parking lot. And so I can still see myself rushing in, in a tizzy, some things don't change, um, arm load full of books, and I probably smelled like Aquanet and Maybelline, you know, but Mr. Willie never really seemed to care that I was late. He he seemed amused. He seemed amused by a lot of things, actually. And he would look up and drawl. He'd say something like, glad you could join us, Miss Phil and Jim. And I remember just kind of sliding into my desk chair and trying to pull it together. There were days that I was on time. 
And there was this fella that I grew up with. His name was Billy Bailey. And Billy was assigned the senior parking spot next to mine. And so some mornings as I'd be getting out of the car, Billy would roll up in his big old pickup truck and he'd lay on the horn. And his horn didn't just honk. It played a tune. It's one that I won't sing here. And then Billy would say over the loudspeakers that were attached to the top of his truck, he'd say, morning, Ashley. And it would blast across the parking lot. And he always just made me smile. I mean, what a way to start your morning. And I've been told, although I never saw it, that when we were younger, Billy used to have this dream of being a wrestler. And so he would practice his, what do you call it? WWE wrestling moves by, he would do this. He'd climb up to the roof of his house and he'd jump off of the roof onto a mattress that he put on the ground below where he was jumping and he would do it again and again. And I just love that image. I I just think that's the best because if you have a goal and you're going to do it, go all in. Yeah. This is my hometown. Back to the classroom on Fridays. I will never forget seeing Mr. Willie seated at his desk, looking down at the papers spread across the desk and he would slowly raise his head and he would survey this grim kind of dark portable classroom And he'd get this big ironic grin on his face and he'd say, it's Friday. (laughs) It makes me so happy to think about, it was one of the highlights of my day back in the day. So I think that it's no coincidence that Mr. Willie assigned us this novel. He was very intentional. I think that Mr. Willie wanted us to think. But in our sleepy little community, this assignment had to have on some level appealed to his sense of irony. I had a little bit better sense of this than most because I also worked with Mr. Willie after school. I had one-on-one tutoring with him with a bunch of extra reading and writing. Sign me up always. I was trying to earn early college credits because I was that girl. Love me anyway. And now, come to think of it, several of the novels that he assigned, definitely critically acclaimed literature, they likely also pushed the envelope, at least from our small town perspective. As I was thinking about it this week, the me now is sure that Mr. Willie was asking the me then to expand her horizons through this veil of academia. Mr. Willie was and is one of the smartest people I have ever met. The way he made us question, the way he could analyze a problem, the way his pen would bleed all over my papers. He was pushing me to write better And he was pushing me to think critically. Actually, I think he was just pushing me to think. But that he thought I was worth that effort, that he thought I could think for myself, that he thought I was up for the challenge of pushing boundaries and norms, given the social norms of where we were. 
that to me is a compliment of a lifetime. And it took me a while, but I see it now. And I have so much gratitude. So thank you, Mr. Willie. Thank you so much. And if you are still listening, then I know there is someone in your journey, maybe several someones who pushed you and supported you, even though you didn't realize it at the time, who were they? It's so interesting to think about this with the perspective of years behind us. And this week I was thinking about how do we pay that forward? How do I pay that forward? Like who is going to look back years from now and say about us, wow, that person really impacted me in a thoughtful way, in a tremendous way that I didn't even understand at the time. Side note, eventually I left the Baptist church and after a brief stint as a Presbyterian, I left the church altogether. My faith runs deep though, and I have so much love for the church family who raised me. So I hope that these stories that I share will be um, taken with the overlay of love and also that I still don't have it figured out. I really don't. But then who does? Yeah. Anyway, back to chapter 13 and why it matters here in this podcast, episode 13. In this novel, after 12 chapters with the author narrating in third person, you know, the typical way that books are written, in chapter 13, he changes abruptly and he starts talking in first person directly to the reader. And this is what he says. This story I am telling is all imagination. These characters I create never existed outside my own mind. Wow. So side note, we're going to geek out. Come on. You know, you want to geek out with me. I researched this and this is called a metafictional element. That is a novel about a novelist writing a novel. And I thought, isn't that just life where we are a human creating our own story while being human? That's metafictional. Great word, metafictional. And now we are facing the metaverse. We are putting our stories in 3D. Sit with that for a moment. It's interesting, yeah? But just so that you know that I love you, I am going to tell you that I researched another theme here or another technique, which is called, I don't even know if I can say it right. It's called authorial intrusions. And I'm going to spare you that discussion because yeah, I love you. I also do love a tangent. So let's get back to the point. I was the girl who always had her head in a book. And for me, chapter 13 of this book was a complete record scratch moment. It's like that game, you know the game, Never Have I Ever. And careful there, that one can get dangerous real quick. But never had I ever had an author just stop mid-story and talk to me. And this week I did a little research and it turns out that this was not actually a novel idea at the time. You see what I did there? 
But I, as a young reader, I'd never encountered this. And I remember sitting in my room at my folks' house and going back and saying, wait a minute, I got to read chapter 13 again. Do you mean that the author can just talk? That the author can just talk to me? And it changed the way I read. It impacted the way I write. And I would like to think it brought us to this place, to this podcast. At least from that long ago memory, I thought at the time, I thought, this author is saying to me, dear reader, what do you think of my novel, of my characters, of my plot choices? And actually on reread, there's a little more to it than that, but I know you're going to give 17-year-old me a break, right? But here on episode 13, I thought, let's have a record scratch moment of our own. Let's press pause and just reflect, which is what the author did in chapter 13. So I'll say to you, dear listener, what do you think of the podcast? What do you think of my guests, of the stories we've shared? What do you want more of? Also, do you think I have this all planned out? Because I don't. For maybe the first time in my life, I just started this with absolutely no end game in sight. And so when I read this excerpt from chapter 13, I found that the author was saying the same thing. This is beautiful. Here we go. You may think novelists always have fixed plans to which they work so that the future predicted by chapter one is always inexorably the actuality of chapter 13. But novelists write for countless different reasons. I could fill a book with reasons and they would all be true, though not true of all. Only one same reason is shared by all of us. We wish to create worlds as real as, but other than the world that is or was. This is why we cannot plan. We know a world is an organism, not a machine. We also know that a genuinely created world must be independent of its creator. A planned world, a world that fully reveals its planning, is a dead world. It is only when our characters and events begin to disobey us that they begin to live. That's beautiful. And is it any wonder that I still remember chapter 13 all these years later? It's when we let go. It's when we stop clinging so tightly to our planned world that we begin to live. And I wish I had taken chapter 13 to heart way back at age 17, but that's life. Let me bring it back around. Let's ground this because you do know I love a list. Here are the three ideas that emerge from this, like a good Southern Baptist preacher who always has three points. (laughs) Here we go. Number one, consider the interplay of freedom versus conformity. Number two, explore the medium. And number three, address the reader or listener directly. All right, let's take down number one. Consider the struggle between freedom and conformity. Charles, the main character in The French Lieutenant's Woman, has a fiancé. 
and he's got this desire for a conventional life. So he finds himself in struggle because he wants this conventional life, but he's attracted to the unconventional Sarah. So now we have a plot twist because Charles is faced with his own individuality, his own desires, his own freedom. Does he choose his desires or society's expectations? This was an issue in 1867, in 1967, and it continues today. Society's expectations have changed. I think we could say, it's safe to say, that challenging social norms is accepted. But then, is it actually? In Charles' era, progressive thought was encouraged. Yet, progressive relationships and sexuality were stifled. And I think it's so interesting how today it's reversed. Diversity of relationships is now prevalent. It's mainstream. And this is always something I've stood behind and beside and with. Always. And yet, now, diversity of thought is stifled. In the Victorian era, discourse and individualism were cherished. And today, I worry that we have become so binary in our thinking and not open to hearing thoughts that don't align with ours. Today, there's social currency in the conformity of thought. We are still in a battle of freedom versus conformity. And maybe it's always going to be part of the conversation, but let's at least examine it. All right, second thought, explore the medium. Here's what I mean. The author, Fowles, experimented with the narrative. He tried on different literary techniques. He used alternative endings. And I was thinking about it. Um, There was a time when I would pass the time by trying on dresses at a boutique and, you know, you try one on and see how it fit and then toss it off and try on something else. And that's what the author was doing here. He's just trying things on. He's experimenting. And with 13 episodes on the podcast, I'd say it's all been an exploration. Our creativity evolves with trial and error. And I am so glad that I finally just tried this podcasting thing and the blog thing because it's storytelling, really. It's telling my own stories and other stories. And my heart has pulled me in this direction for so long and it feels good to just lean into it. And I wonder what your heart is calling you to do. I hope that you don't, like me, overthink it for years. If your heart says paint, then paint. If it says start a business, then do that. If it says take up woodworking, then do that. If it says reach out to someone who's on your mind, then do that. Explore a medium and just see what happens. The third concept is when the author 
directly addresses the reader in this novel. He's using this technique that was meant to challenge the traditional way of storytelling. He's trying to invite the reader to engage, to question their own role in the story that's being told. And as it turns out, I'm trying to do the same thing here. This 13th podcast episode is my invitation. I am addressing you, the listener, directly, just as the author, Mr. Fowles, addressed his reader directly. And I think I think there are many curses that come with all this technology and social media, but the beauty is that we get to make our creations interactive. It actually can be an intimate exchange. In real time, I get to explore how to engage listeners in the same way as the author in this novel experimented with how to engage his readers. And these are questions that I find myself constantly asking. That is, how do I engage with you in a more personal way? How do I learn your stories? And how do you become part of the conversation? You know where to find me. It's in the show notes. And if along the way you hear a podcast that is either a solo podcast or with a guest and it resonates, I hope you'll let me know. You can always, as they say, subscribe or follow in Apple You can leave a rating, and if you leave a review, leave a kind review, please. I would just ask, if you've got a concern or complaint, send it to me directly, and I want to know, I want to talk with you about it one-on-one, because we're not always going to agree. A guest or I might say something that you disagree with, but to me, isn't that the whole point of a podcast is to share ideas And we don't have to agree, but I see so much value in the sharing itself. That's freedom. It's creative freedom. I told you when we started, we are going to talk about sensuality, societal norms, identity, storytelling, exploration, and intimate conversations. And it's woven into all of this. And I wonder, how do you feel about those things? Because in preparing for this, I had to really wrestle with those concepts and it's been a good exercise for me. So there we have it. Chapter 13, episode 13. This is just me sharing ideas that are wrapped up in memories. And on the subject of memories, I'm going to leave you with one more excerpt from chapter 13 because my memories about past times may bring up memories of your own. And the question becomes, what do we do with our past? It's such a good question. And here's what the author, John Fowles, has to say on that. This is so good. You do not even think of your own past as quite real. You dress it up, you gild it or blacken it, censor it, tinker with it, fictionalize it in a word, and put it away on a shelf. Your book your romanticized autobiography. We are all in flight from the real reality. That is a basic definition of homo sapiens, wise humans. So if you think all this unlucky, it is chapter 13. (laughs) 
I took a risk here and in prior episodes, sharing what is probably a romanticized autobiography. And perhaps it's unlucky, but it's all shared with love and curiosity and a desire to walk this messy life together, just arm in arm with you. So you know that in this and every Thoughts from the Trike solo episode, I will remind you that you are love and light. You are health and wealth. You are joy and strength. You are fire and grace. By the way, you are locked in a wrestling match between society and identity. All of us are, or each of us is. I don't know. I need some help with that one, Mr. Willie. But like Billy from high school, are you going to jump off the roof? It takes practice, and we may have to climb back up to that roof and jump off again and again until we get it right. And you can bet that we are going to get bruised and broken along the way. But at least we're living. At least when we jump, we're flying for a moment. Yeah, life's amazing. I'll talk with you next week.